Hello and welcome to episode number 30 of the Miller's Game Room podcast. That's right, the big free zero. And also the last episode of this year, which uh, I'll get onto in a second. But first, if you'd like to support the show, uh, please like, comment, subscribe, five star reviews, stream on your platform of choice, etc. And so on and so forth. So yeah, as I mentioned like 10 seconds ago, this is the last episode of this year. So, uh, as this comes out, which will hopefully be on the 13th, assuming nothing catastrophic happens, um, but that's like the last episode, because in two weeks' time, it will be the day after Boxing Day, and I'm not going to be recording and editing a podcast on Christmas. It's not happening. I am going to take a break and relax a bit. And also, because if I did one, there wouldn't be much to talk about anyway, if you follow gaming news, you'll know that after like the week next week when the episode goes up there will basically be nothing to talk about because the companies in the west will shut down for the christmas break and rightfully so whereas in japan they will still keep going a bit because they're not as into christmas as we are like it's still celebrated there but like there won't be a whole oh let's have all these days off and stuff i'll sort of like newspapers and stuff going so and that includes game releases like on the 22nd, the Tentai Detective Nazuri game is coming out in Japan by Aquaplus. To give an example, uh, there's a few other things as well. There's like obviously Weekly for Mitsu will still go, as well as Bees Log. So there will be news there, but not enough to justify an episode. Uh, and also, um, I will be releasing a few videos within the next few weeks. So on the break from the podcast, I'll still be doing videos, but probably might be might slow them down a bit because well it's a christmas break and i'm entitled to relax like all people but i'll still be putting a few videos out i'm hoping to do a most anticipated games of 2023 video and of course talking about 2022 releases as well which um i might do that as well but i'm still kind of finalizing plans for that so it'll be kind of videos like that that are not too difficult to do or talk about so just lower low energy stuff things that will just i could put out in a few days and schedule and take it from there uh information tba on that so i'm going to have some short news and then some bigger stuff that will but first of all be game awards because that's the thing that's happened most recently and everyone is talking about and then there'll be some other news especially in relation to like microsoft because other things have happened and well nintendo too uh, lots has happened, but I can't talk about everything like Pokemon Scarlet and Violet. That's not going to be here because uh, as funny as the memes are, there's just too much to talk about with that, with everything else. And there's also the Smash Brothers thing that Nintendo like caused a controversy for that, which is a whole other thing, which is also not going to be here. But yeah, don't close down your fan tournaments, Nintendo, even if you legally can, because it makes you look terrible. So yeah, I'm getting ahead of myself. So let's start with the short stuff. Uh, start with the good news first. Persona 5 Royal shipments and digital sales have been revealed to top 1 million for new platforms. With 3.3 million including PlayStation 4. So by new platforms, it obviously means the recent re-releases that came in October, not the original PS4 release. The total shipments for the digital sales for the series, which... Or Persona 5 specifically. It's considered a separate series, Persona 5, which is weird. But this includes Persona 5, the base version, uh, Persona 5 Royal, the dancing games. Or no, just one dancing game. Persona 5 Dancing and Starlight and Strikers, which is the Musou game. Well, not Musou, it's basically an action RPG, but it's by Koei Tecmo, so it's got Musou elements in it. And all of that has passed 8.3 million units as of the 30th of November, which is really impressive for that, actually. Uh, especially with the whole, like... Especially because the majority of those releases were PlayStation-exclusive. Well, except Strikers on Switch and, of course, the recent re-releases, but when they first came out, they were still, like, PlayStation-exclusive, so that's quite good. And hopefully now, with all these sales and support, Atlas have finally realised that Oh shit, people actually want to play our games on other platforms. Why didn't we port them sooner? Especially with things like Persona 4 Golden selling like a million plus on Steam. Ridiculous number. And uh, Arena Ultimax release like did, well, 
did well, I think, but still had issues as well. But I never played that release. I've got it on your PS3, actually, but I've not played it because I am not wanting to play Persona much at the moment. But I do want to play Persona 5 Royal next year because now it's finally on Switch. Like, I've been wanting for a millennium now. Remember back in 2017, I was like, Atlas, please port Persona 5 Royal to the Switch or Persona 5 to the Switch because Persona 5 Royal didn't exist at the time, but I still wanted it on the Switch. And now it's on the Switch. So now I'm going to play it on the Switch. So when Nintendo and Atlas see the player stats, because it can see player stats and what people have played on on their back end, like just for like more general for stats, not individual profiles. But like, so they can see, oh wow, loads of people did play the game on Switch. So yes, I'll be playing this game on Switch. And whether I'll be playing it docked or on the train or wherever I go, that is yet to be seen. And also none of your business because I have a right to a private life. Next thing, uh, Fusa to end all sales online services of the 19th of December. So this is a game I've not talked about in the podcast before, and the reason why will become pretty clear. Uh, this game is a music party rhythm game developed by Harmonix and published by NCSoft, which is a Korean night publisher. And I never really knew much about NCSoft. I think the first time I'd actually heard of them was when I saw the news about the former Atlas PR manager, John Hardin, leaving to join them, which is kind of weird. Like... You follow the Atlas PR manager for years on Twitter, you see some interesting things, and then Harden's like, oh, I'm leaving Atlas for NCSoft now. And then it's like, who's NCSoft? And, well, that is NCSoft. And as for the game itself, uh, it's shutting down. Like, I didn't talk much about it before, because this is why. These games are all only. it shuts down. And this one in particular had a two-year shelf life. So it originally released on the 10th of November in 2020, so just over two years ago. And now you won't be able to access stuff anymore. And I'm hoping if there is an offline release, I believe this is online only, but if there's any offline features that they still work, because otherwise there's going to be lots of eco-waste, especially from the physical copies. I dabbled on that, discussing in a game preservation plus eco-waste video. Check it out on my channel. Um, if I remember, I'll link in the description, but otherwise you can just find it on the channel. There's a picture of, of a bikini bottom dump with a Babylon's full PS5 copy on it. I've been at this for only 10 minutes and already I've gone off track like three times. Fucking hell. Okay, now, Monster Hunter Rise was announced to be getting like, re-released on other platforms, so... Basically, everything else... Uh, being good PCs will? Uh, I think so. As a digital only title, so it's digital only, and then Sunbreak is coming a couple months later. Um, well, the original version is coming out on the 20th of January 2023. I'm not sure if I mentioned that, but I have now. Um, yeah, so as it's digital only, there's no physical release, and not even in Japan, which is like I know there's stats going around about Capcom like having most of their sales be digital, but come on, there's still no excuse for a big release like this. I mean, in the case of Sunbreak, you can't get that physical at all because when it got, like, the double pack got came out on Switch, had the expansion. The expansion was a code in a box, which is, I mean, it's better than nothing because, well, if it's like Final Fantasy X, 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 like, that's even worse. But with this game, you've still got the, the expansion, which is still good, but, like, it should really all be on the cards. And, yeah, it, it's a bit of a shame, but also... It's good to see it get ported to other platforms, but also it'd be nice to have Monster Hunter World put on the Switch because, well, it's on other platforms. Like this should be World should be on Switch. Whether that will happen is up for discussion, but but yeah, it's potentially because it's like no physical as well. It might only be targeted at the Western market because Japan isn't getting a physical, and it should at least be getting one on PS4 and PS5 there. Like, Xbox I can understand because, like, no one buys Xbox in Japan, aside from a very small, die-hard minority. The Xbox fan base in Japan is kind of like what the PlayStation Vita fan base is in the West. A very small but die-hard vocal, like, group of people. But except Microsoft actually give a shit about them, whereas Sony never cared about the Vita. But, yeah, that was uh, interesting. Alright, and now on to the Game Awards portion of the podcast, which is going to be quite long. It's going to have like lots of detail about the, my thoughts on the awards, 
and the, the show itself and some of the announcements because there's too many to talk about and also some of them didn't interest me at all but that's okay and of course I will end up bringing up the kid later on because that's happened uh, first off the show itself in a nutshell uh, overall was really good actually uh, it was much better paced compared to previous years the amount of adverts were more reasonable um, there were some good like sections for the awards itself and it just felt really nice having these people together I really liked the uh, the speech by Al Pacino and uh, the, the, the orchestra was really cool especially seeing the Xenoblade music and of course um, it was really nice uh, just lovely and to tune in and that and uh, yeah um, I did try winning a Steam Deck on Valve stream because a lot of people well, I obviously knew, and the stream was like, if you watch on Steam.tv or on the Steam community page for Game Awards, you too can try to win a Steam Deck, because Valve are giving one away every minute. And, uh, yeah, it didn't go too great, because... Well, first off, somebody called Milf Hunter was picked, so if you were watching the stream, you'd see, congratulations, Milf Hunter, you've won a Steam Deck! And so, basically, Valve saw that and was like, yeah, this is embarrassing PR, especially because it was shared around on social media. So they were like, yeah, we're going to change it to Steam IDs. So they basically doxed people's Steam IDs because it is actually possible to get those Steam IDs put into, like, a third-party website and you can find the, the Steam ID and the profiles. And I get why they did that, but they shouldn't have done because then people... Who saw that and don't know much about Steam IDs, which in fairness you don't really need to know about much about them to begin with because you don't really use them at all. Uh, they thought these accounts were bots, so people were getting angry at Valve being like, this is disappointing, why do bots keep winning Steam decks on the stream? And like, yeah, that was even worse than just Milf Hunter, so they changed it back. So yeah, I don't think I won. I probably didn't win, it was like 1 in like 300 or something. <laughs> Steam decks that could have grabbed, but you know, out of like over 200,000 people at one point, so uh, that's uh, ridiculous. But you know, um, I still enjoyed it though, and it was nice to try to be in it to win it, so to speak. Um, as for the awards themselves, um, so yeah, I'm only talking about the categories I've got thoughts on because some of them I didn't care for at all, like the esports stuff. Um, I would have liked Zenobay 3 to win Best RPG or Best Music. I believe it deserved to win them. And I was a bit disappointed it didn't get anything. But I know a lot of people were like, oh, we sh we're just glad it even got there. And like, yeah, I think it's cool it's there. But I think it just should have won something. Like, I didn't think it had a chance of winning Game of the Year. I would have liked it to win Game of the Year. But considering Elden Ring and God of War were there, it was like, yeah, it's going to be one of those two. And of course, it was Elden Ring, which didn't surprise me at all once it happened. Uh, what did surprise me, though, was Kirby in the Forgotten Land winning one. Uh, Bayonetta 3 winning as well, and like, they're both Switch exclusives. And Maripos Rapid Spark of Hope won Best Strategy, which was interesting as well. Um, God of War Ragnarok won a lot as well, especially when it comes to active performances. But it also won Best Accessibility, which in fairness, it did wholeheartedly deserve to win because that game is like the most accessible like PlayStation game yet, and probably like in gaming in general. Um, outside of like PC and fan mods of course because like you actually it was really built from the ground up to be accessible in its design which I think is really really cool and that's really good it got recognition although from what I heard apparently the people that actually presented that particular award were not actually disabled and yeah that kind of needs to be changed for next year and if you get two people back I think it'd be good if one of them was had a mobility aid or a wheelchair which would have made it even better and basically, in a nutshell, if you were uh, from Nintendo, Sony Santa Monica, from Software, or responsible for Stray, I'm so sorry, I forgot the name of the studio, um, you had a great night. And Stray also won too as well, including by Best Independent Game, which, uh, yeah, that's uh, really cool to see a cute indie game win. So on to announcements. A uh, vast majority of these were in the show. There was one, I'm talking about here, from like the Cozy Showcase that happened before. I didn't watch that one, but I read about it. And there's some nice stuff here. So first one was like the big like like Japanese game announcement because it was Final Fantasy 16 as well, which I'll talk about. But the other one was uh, Armored Core 6, Fires of Rubicon, which was basically announced for all major platforms except Switch for next year. 
Um, obviously, it's a six-game in that series, at least in terms of mainline. I don't know about spin-offs. I don't know too much about it because I've never played Armored Core, but I have seen the games around. The last one I've seen was on PS3 years ago. I think it might have been on another platform, but I don't know. Um, trailer did look nice. Um, I think it was just more just pre-rendered rather than actual gameplay. But it'll be interesting to see, like, from software make something different, especially after... Dark Souls and Demon Souls and all those games have done so well. And to take the knowledge they learned from those into something different. Because that'd be nice to prove that they're not just a uh, a one-trick Soulsborne pony. Or Death Rider or creepy guy in a black mask or whatever the hell you characterise the Souls games with. Uh, also, uh, Earthblade. Um, this was debut debuted by uh, Extremely OK Games, who uh, made Celeste, which is an indie darling, an amazing game, by the way. Check it out if not already. Um, due out in 2024, um, so quite a way off, but it still looks really cute, and it, I really like the uh, look of it. I will check it out definitely when it comes out. Hope it gets a physical, and at retail as well, not just limited run. Uh, Hades 2 announced a PC, but it's launching early access. Been in development since 2021 and is getting the god mode back from the first game, which uh, I've been meaning to play Hades. Switch version's gotten really fucking expensive, so I don't know when I'll play it, but I'd like to get it, most likely on PS4. I'll probably end up getting Hades on PS4, to be honest, because it's so much cheaper. And um, yeah, Private Division did a good job publishing that at retail and making it still available. And speaking of Private Division, uh, they and a company called Piccolo Studio have announced a game called uh, After Us for PS5, Xbox Series, and PC. And this is actually a game I'm interested in. It's not by a Japanese like company at a show. And it also kind of looks like a double-A game, so not an indie like Earthblade. And it's not on PS4 or Switch, so I can't play it. And I'm sad, because it looks great. It's really cute atmospheric platformer themed around restoring life to the world and yeah um i have to keep an eye on that actually because it looks like something i'd be into actually uh as for cozy games from the cozy showcase from before i picked one a cottage core adventure game mail time launching in april 2023 for ps5 ps4 switch and pc um, this game is a, like, I think it's from the press release, being a quote-unquote relaxing cottagecore adventure set in a peaceful forest far, far away. It's your first day on the job as a newly minted male scout. In with a mushroom hat, a pack full of letters and unbridled enthusiasm, it's time to deliver letters and packages across the Grumblewood Grove. So it's basically, it sounds like Stardew Valley or something like that, but you're a postman, so... It sounds great. It's created by someone called uh, Keller van der Deel. I probably butchered that, but I'm sorry, but it's the effort that counts, especially when you get much of it right and try. But, you know, yeah. Looks cool. Might check it out. Uh, other things. Dead Cell has got new DLC. Uh, Return to Castlevania announced. So it's basically collaborating with the Castlevania IP from Konami. And that's due out in, well, next few months. Uh, now to some of the more bigger budget stuff. Aside from Armored Core 6, which should have actually been down here, but whatever. Uh, Death Stranding 2 was announced at PS5. Um, that trailer was so fucking weird. I watched and it was like, why are there so many babies? And, yeah. It was nice to see, like, could, could you even announce something? It wasn't just a podcast. So, yeah, I guess. Hope it's good. I know some people liked the first Death Stranding, but it was controversial in some ways because it was basically a fusion novel. And if you like get someone in the mainstream who's not used to VNs to play a VN, they will probably not like it because they didn't expect it to be a VN. So, hopefully this game is like good. I've not played the first one. I probably won't at this point unless it's maybe the director's cut, but when hell freezes over and I get a PS5, which... Let's be honest, it's not looking likely for me anyway. Uh, Nintendo did have an announcement. They did have a Fire Emblem Gage trailer, which had, like, confirming the expansion pass, which was like, this is shit that should have been in the game, but otherwise, yeah, the trailer looks good. 
So that was all I had on it. And uh, if you engage, that's not great, by the way. And also, realistically, this was the only place they could have actually put it because they've got no more directs or things till January. So it's nice to add something, even if it was more case if they had to because of the release timing. But the other game they had was actually a Bayonetta game. It's uh, Bayonetta Origins, Cereza and the Lost Demon, obviously for Switch, launching 17th of March next year. Looks like an action like puzzle platformer game with a surprisingly cozy art style. And it's basically the a prequel to the series where you play as well Bayonetta or at the time Cereza before D is called Bayonetta and it's uh interesting. New players both Cereza and Cheshire, the very first demon to try to find a way to save her mum, which um it's it looks interesting, so hopefully it turns out well, and it's getting a physical too, which is really cool. Uh, Final Fantasy 16, dated for 22nd of June, which a month after Breath of the Wild 2, so that's going to be fun if you're into both those games. Um, the trailer looked really good, it, it's like, I'm not too, like, big on it, like, I've never been big into Final Fantasy, but I do need to try playing the games more, um, but considering Yoshi P is directing it, and that's the guy who's known for, like, saving Final Fantasy XIV, and actually, like, helping to keep it relevant for so long, I think this game might actually be good, especially if Square Enix, like, yeah, we'll just leave you to your own devices, and let you, like, make a masterpiece, rather than try to force you to stuff NFT shit into it, so, that's hopefully good for those interested. So that's it for games, but there was the Mario movie stuff, so I'm going to be talking about those, which are going to be really cool. And as I mentioned about talking about the Mario movies, uh, how this is going to work is that there were two trailers released in the past couple of weeks. There was the one with Peach and Toad, which was in the direct, and then there was the one at the Game Awards, and because the Game Awards one came later, I would talk about that afterwards. But so far, with the first trailer with Peach and Toad, where you see that, uh, oh my god, that one was fantastic, I loved it so much. Um, it's nice seeing the whole twist about Peach becoming one of the protagonists, so impression I'm getting, it'll be Mario, Toad and Peach going to rescue Luigi, so Luigi got kidnapped, and I love that twist. Uh, also shows little ref little references of things like the appearance of the Fire Flower, the Tanuki suit, Yoshi's Island, uh, donut blocks, including Mario falling down them, the cheap, cheap beach level from Mario Brothers, like the one with uh, you run across the b bridges and they all, the cheap jump up and you got to grab one and you get squashed in his face with the cheap, cheap. And of course, there was the Donkey Kong and Bowser, and seeing uh, Donkey Kong beat up Mario was funny, and Bowser too, with uh, ripping off Luigi's mustache, it looks great, and I uh, am really looking forward to it. So that was the first trailer. The second trailer is the one that was at the Game Awards, which was actually not so much a trailer, it was more, here is your first actual clip from the film. And I thought that was so cool to have it at the Game Awards, because then Nintendo actually had something to show that was substantial, aside from the Bayonetta announcement. Um, just wow. It's like you see the crypt of Mario coming to the Mushroom Kingdom, and Toad like leads Mario through the Mushroom Kingdom up to the castle. And it's really cool seeing, like, well, I love seeing all the toads and just all these cute toads congregating together. In many ways, it does resemble the minions from, well, Gru and Minions, the other IP Illumination worked on. And also seeing the clear pipes as well and the platforms as well. Oh, it was so cool. And it's like, wow, this looks like it will genuinely be a masterpiece, especially for video game adaptations. So, yeah, I'm definitely going to have to talk about this more. And go see the film when it comes out and do a, a, a review on Miller's Game Room. So yes, it will have to happen. Um, also, it's becoming more obvious it's an isekai. So somehow Mario and Luigi get thrust into this world. And but not been there before. So Mario has to go rescue Thingy. And, well, Luigi, not Thingy. And, well, learn about this world. Like, you see him fall down the donut block, so... Easy, like, one of the most anticipated things of next year, so... If we could get an actual European release date, that would be amazing. And yeah, that's basically it for Game Wards and Game Ward-related stuff. Uh, there was also the kid as well, actually, I didn't talk about the kid. 
And yeah, that was weird. I'm not sure what to make of that. Um, a kid like people know what happened at this point. A kid managed to sneak on stage with the Elden Ring crew, and then say something, and then cause lots of memes and stuff like that to appear. I'm not really 100 sure on the specifics in terms of like why he did it. Like he's basically revealed himself because he was a YouTuber, and he's like, I'm gonna do a full explanation on social media. So. That might come. He was arrested. Jeff confirmed that the kid was arrested. And, um, yeah, that was weird. And I actually watched that a bit live. It was just like, okay, you're saying something about Bill Clinton. Why? And, uh, yeah. Also speaks volumes about the game wards because, like, you need to do your own security. And actually have proper security so a kid can't get on the stage because that could have been someone that could have had more malicious means rather than just a kid who, like, came up and said something really silly, basically. And just, that was, yeah, that's, yeah, funny and weird, but don't let it happen again. And also, something else, the, the violin guy, um, I was, it was, like, Pablo, I think, he came out and revealed himself as the guy after the show, because people love seeing him play during the final, like, the melody with the, the six game of the year nominees and they saw him like change instruments so quickly and that was that was really cool seeing that and they even got fan art and stuff like that as well and it was like god bless you all and he's wholesome thing and that's really really cool and i really like that as well so yeah that's really cool and now i regret to inform you that the rest of this news will be about bullshit so yeah moving on from positivity i have to to the, the bi-weekly Miller's Game Room calling out bullshit from video game industry publishers. In this case, Microsoft almost exclusively, I think. Yeah, this episode will almost exclusively be Microsoft. And that's not because I'm biased against Xbox or whatever for fanboys will say if any of them ever find this podcast, which I doubt you will. Unless you search it up within your podcast platforms, which I encourage you to do so. And leave me good reviews, not hate on me. Because Microsoft basically confirmed that they will be doing the 70 USD price increase too. And well, other companies have done that, which is bad. And they're going to, well, starting for next year, I believe. Like, they're saying it reflects the content scale and technical complexity. And then Phil Spencer was interviewed the same day in the second request podcast said... Quote unquote, pricing is always something that we're conscious of and the impact it has on our customers. And there's multiple things that we can price in our platform, he said. There's obviously the price of the consoles themselves, the price of the games, the price of the subscription, and just given our economic realities right now, something had to give in terms of us continuing to run the business with the increased cost basis that we had. So in other words, what they mean by something had to give is basically now they think they can get away with price gouging the games even more. And in fairness, they're probably right. Like People are still buying the games that, that are launching for like 70 USD now, which is bad. Um, and it's still a rip-off. Because yes, if games like do cost more to make, a lot of that is because of bloated marketing budgets and money that's deliberately siphoned off in the hands of executives, senior management other people who aren't working on the ground and also includes shareholders and tax evasion as well so another symptom of late stage capitalism so shock horror and yeah and also in the uk and other regions the price will likely be converted from one like a dollar to a pound like i've seen god and war be like yeah it's gone up to 70 usd but in the uk it's like 69 pounds 99 which is a rip-off, because that's using a one-to-one conversion. And even after the disaster that was Liz Truss's mini-budget, which did crash the pound against the dollar a bit, a few months ago, it's still too expensive. And it's crap, so don't buy these games. If you're going to pre-order games like this, so try to look for cheaper deals, like like some sites online do put up pre-orders that are at least like £10 cheaper, so you'd get it for like, 60 pounds which is still too much but better if you're gonna if you must pre-order a game that's 70 dollars or 70 pounds or too fucking much pounds 
yeah, it, it's annoying. But also in the case of Xbox, which Phil Spencer is right about when he says this, is that things like Game Pass and Xbox consoles not going up in price compared to PS5 is something that works in Xbox's favour, but how long they will stay in place remains to be seen. Next bit of news well, relates to the acquisition of Activision Blizzard, because there were two things that relate to that. The big one, of course, was the, the Federal Trade Commission, which is like a, a board in the US that, quote-unquote, protects America's consumers, which is what it says on its website and its logo. But I'm not American, but I think that's probably bullshit in general. But sometimes these regulatory authorities do do good things, like in the UK, CMA, the Competition and Markets Authority, also it concerns it a deal. But in this case, they're suing to block Microsoft from buying Activision, which was announced on Thursday. Um, they said they were concerned that the deal would, quote-unquote, enable Microsoft to suppress competitors to their Xbox platform. And they've said, Microsoft has already shown it can and will hold content from its gaming rivals. Today we seek to stop Microsoft from gaining control over leading independent game studio and using it to harm competition in multiple dynamic and fast-growing gaming markets. So yeah, um, that's going through. That's a thing. Um... This deal will probably go through eventually. Like, I can see Microsoft paying people off with bribery or things like that. That's similarly shady capitalist shit. But it's still good to see that, well, this is happening to begin with. Because any resistance to this deal is a good thing, basically. And ideally, the deal not going through would be best for consumers. And, like, people in general on the ground who buy this stuff. But also, I can kind of see why, like, Microsoft... Buying Activision might be good to change the culture at the company because Kotick and his awful leadership has basically just made that company an absolutely awful place. And yeah, it's kind of like, it might be for the best, but also it shouldn't happen at all because, again, monopoly power. And you've also seen it for Bethesda games as well. The upcoming Bethesda stuff is exclusive to Xbox, like Starfield, Redfall. So... Multi-platform for these future stuff isn't guaranteed. Except Call of Duty for the next 10 years. Which brings me on to the last thing. Uh, Phil Spencer announced on Twitter that uh, Microsoft has entered into a 10-year commitment to bring COD to Nintendo following the merger of Microsoft and Activision Blizzard King. Microsoft is committed to bringing more games to more people, however they choose to play. And then they basically said the same thing about... We've committed to continue to offer COD on Steam simultaneously to Xbox after we've closed the merger. So yeah, um, Nintendo is pretty surprising because like the last Nintendo COD was on the Wii U and apparently was an okay port. And I think there might definitely be a market for COD on Nintendo. Like I've actually someone who did actually play the old COD games on the Wii. Like not all of them, but some of them, and they were serviceable ports. They were good, and the motion controls were a nice touch. So it'll be interesting to see what happens there, and and that is a good thing bringing COD to Nintendo again, especially because Switch and most likely its successor, Switch Pro Two or whatever it is will most likely sell loads, so it would be worth the, the money and investment to bring COD over to it, and also put it on Steam as well, because, again, most people on PC game on Steam, and it's basically, you've got to have your game on Steam to sell stuff, which makes erroneous bannings like Valve do with some fish novels like Metal, Muramaza, and Chaos Head Noah, but that's besides the point. But, yeah, um... But also, it is a publicity stunt as well. So yes, they've signed these deals, but it is also a publicity stunt because Sony are having a temper tantrum over it. From a corporate perspective, it's basically the bickering because Sony don't want the deal to go through at all. I can understand why. For their interest, it is bad, especially because they're the rival platform. Like, I mean, Nintendo technically is a rival platform too, but considering much of the market is different, like, I'm into more games you can find on Nintendo than other platforms, so I'm almost the ideal Nintendo customer. But I can kind of see why it's so upset, but also, like, it's just corporate bickering. Don't take a side with either of these corporations because they're not your friends. They produce products, they enrich rich people, and they destroy the planet. So, that is... 
uh, you don't support and bootlicked for corporations. And this deal is, well, I think Sony do on one hand, like, they should at the very least be like, okay, we'll sign this deal because it's just, it will make them look better instead of having this bickering and all the going to regulators and lobbying them to go, oh no, don't please, please don't do this deal, I beg you. And then, yeah, I'm just blabbering shit at this point because it's just, well, I'm blabbering shit because this whole deal acquisition situation is also shit. Yeah, I'm moving on. And moving on I shall, because um, there's the visual novel section now, and there's only really two things I'm going to discuss this time. And one of them is actually pretty big news in the world of visual novels, and then the other one's a announcement for a game that's being discussed in Beastlog after this episode goes up, like at least a week. So it's like, yeah, I'm not going to be talking about it. Might do next year, depending on what's discussed, but otherwise, yeah, I'm just going to mention it here just so I've got it locked up. I'm talking about a Beastlog reveal on Miller's Game Brewing Podcast, episode 30. Um, so the big bit of news relates to Aqua Plus. Yes, what a shocker. Miller's Game Room Podcast is talking about Aqua Plus again. But yeah, this is actually pretty big news, to be fair. So they've been acquired. So there's their Aqua Plus and their subsidiary, Fix Records, which is basically their music label where they publish all their, like their music and songs for their games and products, like all the Suara songs, for example, you see. They're published by Fix, as well as the soundtracks. I've got the soundtracks, they're also by Fix. Um, I'm getting back to see if we want to like, break news into English. And Plus have been acquired by Crest. So, might not have heard of Crest. They're not that old, actually. They were founded, like, in 2018. And if you've heard of the games Aria Chronicle... Uh, Metallic Child, they did those, or at least published them, but I believe they might have helped them in some way. They've got some other games coming, like Last Light. They've also just founded an all-ages fusion novel brand called Novus, which is consisting of former Minato Soft staff. And if you've heard of Magikoi, Love Me Seriously, that's like one of the most popular VNs ever made. And we'll also end in terms of critical reception as well. Minato Soft made that, and the staff... Many of the staff from Minato Soft are going to be working at this studio, and they're also based in Yokohama alongside Minato Soft, so there's going to be some overlap there. Another news I forget, Minato Soft is still going, because aside from Magikoi on Steam, there's basically no other game where there's that's been localised, and I think Magikoi didn't do too well, so it's unlikely to change. But aside from that, what they said in their press release, which is Gamatsu translated, but this is the part that's most interesting because the rest of it was just usual PR crap and basically going, this is what Crest is and this is what Aquaplus is. And then they've said in their last bit, by acquiring Aquaplus, which possesses a wealth of intellectual property and excels at planning and production, Crest aims to expand its video game business and the 360 degree global expansion of its intellectual property. And they did talk about in the press release as well about Aquaplus having lots of recognisable IP like Utawaramono is a most well-known one, White Album, Two Heart, and all the other like, IPs they did, especially, the, including all the obscure Roki stuff that will probably never get released, re-released ever again. But some context of Aqua Plus is that, uh, obviously they were independent, the whole like founding the visual novel genre, and making what was defined as a visual novel in the West, that kind of thing. There was a recent like video by Ball of Lentils, which basically summed up everything that happened with them from the history, which is worth watching on YouTube, focusing on Leaf, which was their adult brand. I recommend watching it because they've got a massive history. Um, they were previously owned by Yume Sora Holdings, which is like one of the largest doujin sellers in Japan. But it's likely because their financial situation wasn't as good because they had to close a lot of physical store locations since the pandemic started, obviously. It's still going, by the way. No, I will not stop referencing that because people need to realise that. And so it's likely they decided to sell Aqua Plus to help with that, which makes sense, actually. And unlike Activision Blizzard, this is nowhere near as bad because Cozen's quite small. And it sounds like that it's nowhere near as monopoly-dominated as loads of VN companies. And for Aqua Plus, this could actually be a good thing. Because when it comes to video games, Crest have done day and date global releases of their games, including on Switch and physically with English text in Japan. And so this bodes well for Aqua Plus, like 
possibly getting their games localized on consoles again because the last console release affairs was actually the Utah One remake, and that was back in 2020. And they've done other games since, like at least four other games and three of them on consoles. And then of course Monomobi, which has come west on PC only, which hopefully it means that if Cresta are willing to dabble into these older IPs, they'll also get them localized too and on consoles and could potentially do the publishing themselves. Because it sounds like they've got a more like competent with these kind of things, especially because the games they have done were pretty good from what I understand. And optimistic, but I just hope they do remain independent because under Human Sora they basically did their own thing and it paid off a lot. Like even now they announced Comic Cat 91 stuff for their own like on their own like site and stuff and that's a nice stuff. They had some good Utah stuff and then they had the really expensive White Album 2 pictures for like 20,000 yen and it's like yeah, I was kind of interested in these, but 20,000 yen, as cute as they are, I'll pass, thank you. Although it's nice seeing the Kazusa after story, like, ending CG kind of, like, thing kind of be visualised for the first time, which I thought was really cool. And, of course, Koharu. But, yeah, almost done with the news. Um, as I mentioned earlier, there was the Beast Log article. It's, like, it's Beast space log, by the way, not Beast Slog. Um... It's basically a magazine that's aimed at, like, Nintendo. Not Nintendo. No, Nintendo had a mag in Japan? No, no, fuck. Well, there was one aimed at Nintendo as well for new. I saw when I was in Japan, but that's not a thing. It's basically, like... It's basically, like, a magazine for games aimed at women. So, kind of like an Otome Shoujo magazine. And BL content, too, because that's something else that might be touched on as well. Um, they basically had revealed the cover and they teased a full reveal of this new title which is called Utakata no Ukronia and this is a collaboration between Broccoli which is the same company localizing Jack Gian and Tease Creation uh they're under a new like joint brand Lyco Bits and they've revealed this first work this maiden game it's it's, it's no time game though what we'll point out as and it's going to have the proper info, like scenario and characters and that kind of thing. And it's illustrated by Riri. Uh, this is the person who's most known for the PF4A games. If you've played PF4A, Faded Memories, or it's Fandesk, Riri illustrated that. But they also did some other stuff, like basic. I think most, if not all of it, was Otomate before this announcement. And other ones were like Yonohana Spring, which is like one of the most import-friendly Japanese games for Otome. And also um, Binary Star, which is like that Vita exclusive Otome, which had elements of like drugs in it, which apparently was pretty good. A lot of people wanted it localized. I did back in the day. Not going to happen at this point unless it gets ported. But considering what's getting ported now, you never know really. Well, it could get ported as well. And who knows, maybe it will come west. Like a lot of these announcements are are getting better at confirming English language support for these releases day one when they go up in Japan, so who knows? Especially as Broccoli has started licensing out Jack Gian, so maybe Utah Pre, the company by Utah Pre, and Viz Media, or not Viz Media, Tease Creation. How the fuck did I get Viz Media out of that? Fucking hell. We'll decide to release it. Now onto what I've been playing, and I've been playing a lot of games and free DLC updates for games which I already own. So I'll get the DLC updates done first. First one, uh, the Switch Sports Golf update. You know what this is? This is the, the mode in the game that should have been there, the launch. So the game's now a bit more complete, which is really good. Um, I really like golf. It's fun. Playing online is good because you can quickly score up a ton of points, especially if you get good shots. It's really good for like levelling up and getting things. Uh, it's also nice like to have these courses back realised from like the original NES Golf, but also I think Resort Golf as well, which is a Wii Sports Resort, which I've not played. So yeah, that's uh, my big hole in my gaming library for Nintendo, but I will get round to it someday. Um, I like it as well. Um, I probably dabble every now and then because it is actually pretty fun, but I do wish it came like that at launch. And nowadays, it it has gone down a little bit in price. If you can find it for like 30 quid. 
because that is where I've seen it, as low as 30. If you can find it for that price, I recommend it. Especially like, find that discount as well, with the, with the strap as well. And now onto the uh, Mario Kart 8 Deluxe DLC Wave 3. Um, I've played this a bit. Uh, I like it, because it's like the 3DS. Not 3DS, well, I mean, not 3DS course here as well, actually. But that's not a bad thing because the courses here are great and it's probably the best like batch yet. And also the update, because Nintendo did an update as well. They nerfed the lightning so that if you are gliding and you get struck by lightning, you no longer fall to the ground. You just get small and lose your item, which is good. But also it's it means you can't actually like zap it deliberately when people are gliding so they can't actually die. And fall off so you can't do that anymore so it makes it a bit uh, it makes it a bit easier but also not as fun if you're in a brutal race and you want to take down some really difficult players by using lightning so uh, rip the other thing though um, was uh, item mode so they actually did a toggle thing which you, you previously was only the thing in the domain of hacks where you could basically limit what items you have, so you could remove things like coins, or remove everything actually, so in theory, if you wanted to, you could have no items, or only blue shells, or bullet bills, or something equally ridiculous, something like that, and yeah, that's fun, I'm looking forward to hopefully playing with some friends at some point, because that's going to be really cool, um, as for the courses themselves, which I have a lot to talk about here, so, time to get onto them, so much like the previous like DLC updates, I will just go through them in order according to their cup and course placement. So, starting with the Rock Cup. Uh, this starts off with the London Loop. This is a faithful adaptation of London into Mario Kart with lots of recognisable landmarks like London Eye, the Parliament and the Shard and Buckingham Palace, which was a kind of interesting as someone who is unfortunately trapped in this terrible shithole of a country. It was kind of interesting to see this wholesome adaptation of London. And the course itself was pretty good. I like the whole tricking off London Bridge as well. And taking the whole like going down and at one point going down by the River Thames in a car, which was really cool. I think that was interesting. And yeah, interesting adaptation of London. Uh, GBA Boo Lake. Um, some people see it as like the weaker course in terms of the pack, which I kind of get because like it is kind of small and quick to get around. But I did really like what I did of it, like, atmosphere's great, uh, they added, added anti-grav, so starting from, like, one portion of the course where it goes up a bit, they add anti-grav, and you can go on the water for the rest of it, and that was really cool, they've only had one real shortcut, but it was really nice to have that, and it is better than the GBA original as well, and it's nice to have a shorter course as well. And another GBA course, because the GBA has been really neglected in Mario Kart over the years. And, but yeah, basically until Mario Kart 8, there never really was many GBA courses at all. And now we've got, in this new game, like, five, I think? Which is really good. Hopefully there's a couple more as well. And maybe another proper 3D SNES one as well. Maybe not Mario Circuit. Yeah, not Mario Circuit or Donut Plains, please. Something cool, maybe Bowser's Castle. I don't know. Uh, Alpine Pass or Rock Rock Mountain. I hate that Americanized name. But Alpine Pass, so this is from the 3DS originally, Mario Kart 7. Course layout itself is pretty fun. I think this is probably the weakest course in terms of visuals, so it looks really bad. I don't like it. It's very jarring, especially when you're climbing the mountain at the end. But it is good that that section has anti-grav. And also that you can like the, the vents as well when you glide over and that's uncle that's back. And there is lots of shortcut potential with that part of the course, which I did really like. And it's going to be great playing that online again, and not ruined by hackers. And finally, probably my like one of my favourites in this in this entire DLC is Wii Maple Treeway. Um, this course is amazing, looks amazing, plays amazing. I like seeing all the wigglers. The half pipe returning was really cool because that wasn't in seven, but it is here in uh, Deluxe's DLC. Um, it looks great. Love the music rendition as well. Um, it's one of these kind of things making me hope that Mario Deluxe, when all the DLCs out, gets a proper OST release. And I say that as someone who owns the, the soundtrack for the base Wii U version, which um, 
I really want to see a proper deluxe update with, of course, a massive collector's edition like Animal Crossing, because Maricot is amazing and deserves it. Anyway, now I've sidetracked again. Moon Cup. Um, Berlin Byways. Um, I love this one. Music is really cool for one. I really like the whole, like, the variety of, like, scene, like, like the Autobahn station, and, like, the parks as well. Uh, the addition of Womps and Womps, especially on the final lap when the Womps all come out from the wall and can crush you if you're not careful. I thought that was really cool, adding the Womps in because they weren't in the original Maricot Tour version, which I do really like. And yeah, I think it's a great course and probably one of the best city tracks, actually. Uh, DS Peach Gardens. Now, I love this one, actually. Um, this is the best version of the course yet in any game, so it'd be DS, Wii, Custom... Um, the garden hedge areas have been simplified so it's less stressful and awkward to go through like because in America we had to be very careful where you go and it was quite easy to bump into a, a chomp if you don't know exactly where they are so that is something that can make that difficult to traverse um, but it's really good because it's you could have simplified it's easy to get through and it's easier to avoid the chomps as well uh, the big thing which a lot of people know about at this point is that lap 3 has been changed, so you basically start lap 3, and then instead of going past the, go up on the hill, you turn left, and you go round past the castle again, and you basically do the rest of the track backwards, and they've added a few things like a glider, and that allows you to go through Luigi's hand as well, which I think is so cool, and if you play that, like, without knowledge of that beforehand, and I imagine by the time this goes up, a lot of the magic of that will be gone now, so I can talk about it, it's great, and I I thought that was so cool, because if you if you make a track design that good that you can play it backwards, that's how you know you've got a good track. And I like that. And especially because when it comes to, like, Mario Kart custom mods, there have been backwards mods added, so the fact that it's an official game in some form is a huge win. Last two now, Merry Mountain. This is uh, the new course. I think it was in Tour, but then got added here. The actual course layout is quite simple, but it looks amazing. It's so Christmassy and fun and festive, and I love it. You go up the mountain, and then you go straight back down, and it's so, like, such a steep descent, but I just love how the visuals look in it. Especially when you see all the snow and the lights and the parcels and stuff, it just looks so Xmasy and so festive, and I truly, truly love it as someone who is a very Christmassy person, because Christmas is amazing. I love it. And finally, 3DS Rainbow Road. Uh, this variant was really cool. I like the fact the path is largely blue because it is a break from the other Rainbow Roads because there's like three Rainbow Roads in this game now, which is ridiculous, even before this course. Um, I think, I uh, again, I, the anti-grav one is fun as well because you can go on the moon instead of just landing slowly and just flat on the ground awkwardly you float down and you can take the gravity on it which i think is really cool i love that it's probably one of the best things about it actually um and the music's good as well and other visual enhancements except the very background because if you see the background in rainbow road on the that version you see the galaxy symbols and you can think hmm yeah it looks you can tell that's just one image like circles around the whole arena you can kind of just tell that when you look at it and that's like yeah it probably could have been refined better but compared to like rock rock mountain and toad circuit fuck I, i've now calling it bloody rock rock mountain it's fucking alpine pass but now i'm calling it alpine pass or compared to alpine pass or it, it's fine the whole rainbow road graphic thing but yeah uh overall best batch of courses um there's still three more batches left to be revealed I really hope one of them is a Bowser's Castle because we've had all these tracks and there's only one Bowser's Castle and it's the base one from the original Wii U game when it came out in 2014. And at this point it's like, there needs to be another one, like another retro and there's still plenty to choose from. Like In terms of like GameCube and DS tracks, most of them have been done but Bowser's Castles are the ones that haven't been done yet from like most of these games. So, bring one of them back. I'd say probably, I'd say the best one would probably to pick either DS or GameCube. And that's the most, I think that's probably the best thing to do there. But also, I'd like to put the Wii one back, because the Wii one, I I grew up on Mario Kart Wii. Mario Kart Wii Castle is great. Bring it back. 
but also an SNES one would be cool as well. Or maybe GBA Bowser Castle 4, because that one's not come back in any game yet. So, a lot to talk about there. And maybe also some quality of life enhancement as well that further improve the game. Like, maybe some new characters, please. Bring some more from Tor. And maybe a couple of items as well. I mean, especially with the characters, the current 8 roaster is kind of pants, to be honest. Like, a lot of the enemies and Mario characters you see in Tor, they are great characters, but with... 8 Deluxe, it's kind of meh, even though there are some good ones that were added to the game. There were good ones, like like the Cadmore Crossing characters, Link, um, well, Koopalings were kind of alright, but no one cares, no one cares about the Koopalings. And I think the other thing as well was, if you're going to add characters, I'd like to see Pauline be added in, because Pauline was added in Tor, I believe. And also bring back Funky Kong, and Funky Kong is not in tour. I want to see the sexy Funky Kong. So if you drive around online, you can be Funky Kong, but not be statistically the fastest character in the game, which is the case in Mario Kart Wii, which is why all the speedrunners you see playing that game are playing as Donkey Kong. Or, no, Funky Kong. Not Donkey Kong, Funky Kong. But Donkey Kong's called cool too. That's why he's in the Mario movie. Almost done now with this mammoth episode. I've got two more games to talk about in terms of what I've been playing. Uh, Love of Pretend. This is a new release. Latest Otome game. I unboxed it on the channel. That video has done surprisingly well, actually. I expected it to do decent numbers because it's an unboxing of a release that's just come out. But, like, at the time of recording, it, it's almost it's 100 views, which I didn't actually expect. Which is interesting, so thank you if you've watched that. Um, I'm going to have to do more unboxings now, I've seen it does well, but aside from the point, I did say in that video, maybe I'll check it out at some point, let me know if I want to play it, but then I was like, you know what, I think I actually will play it, because it's not too long, and it's another 2022 release. And yeah, it's basically a light-hearted romantic comedy, slice-of-life Otome game set in the world of film production. You play as the protagonist, Chiyuki, uh, she's really cute and lovely, very career-driven screenwriter on a quest to look for her father. Um, which is really cool. Uh, it's a nice little palette cleanser game. Very funny, light-hearted. Uh, guys are cute. I've played Senna and Kazuma's Root so far. They're cute. I like them too. Um, it looks great. Music's great as well. I should know. I own the soundtrack. Except the OP and ED. And they're probably the best parts, but... You know, soundtrack, even if it's not complete, if it's got most of the songs, I'm a happy gal. So... After all, I've got the Cupid Para soundtrack, but don't, but don't even get me started on Cupid Parasite for today. <sighs> yeah, it's good. Uh, but yeah, I think I could potentially recommend it. I don't think I'm going to do a full-on video review because I don't like it enough to want to do that. Like, I want Steam Prison, which I want to talk about because I did overall like the game, but a lot to say. And Cupid Para, which is amazing, but I don't quite feel the same with Love of Pretend. Maybe I might do Nor 9. That's coming out in March. And now our final game is Stray. Uh, yep, I've been playing the cute cat game. I started ahead of the Game Awards because obviously like, it was up for lots of things, including Game of the Year. Um, it's very unique. Uh, almost at the end, I'm like, probably like a few chapters from the end, it does get a bit like, the puzzles get a bit more difficult as you go further in, but that's fine. Um... Especially also because of PS4 physicals finally come out, so I can get it, have a disc on my shelf, and play this cute masterpiece, and have this cute cat face, which I like as well. Um, I really like how this game uses gamification of cat behaviours, so things like when the cat claws on the door to get someone to open it, or you jump around the buildings and other things like parkour, sleeping on bookshelves, pillows and more to look cute, and meowing as well. Um, I like that, and also the hybrid of how the game combines multiple genres, including the likes of platforming and puzzles. Um, the world is really cool. I just love the neon, cyberpunk, and steampunk design, which is basically a hybrid. It's kind of really difficult to describe. And all the robots as well looking cute, and it's like... The cats and like finding B12, the like android assistant kind of thing. And you go through this world looking to get out and help the cat find its way home or their home. I don't think the cat was, I don't think the cat was gendered. I'm so sorry. Um, 
but yeah, I can see why it's getting the praise it is. It's a fun game. It's unique, and I think it's probably will end up being one of the best indies I've played, which uh, says a lot, really, actually, because it's a really cute, cute cat game. So yeah, I've been going for a while now, so I'm gonna stop. Um, thank you so much for listening to me today. Uh, have a very happy holiday season, no matter where you are or what you're doing or what you celebrate. Uh, I'll be getting all Christmassy. I'm looking forward to it. But uh, I'm sorry from the videos going up for the next few weeks for the Game Room YouTube channel. Please subscribe to it if you haven't already. Uh, the next episode will be around 10th of January, which is next year. So have a very happy holiday season. Have a very happy new year. Um, like, comment, subscribe, algorithm boosting stuff, like I said, at start again, fire star reviews, etc. Thank you so much, and bye-bye.